We're looking again to 1 Peter chapter 1. This will be our last look at chapter 1. Moving on next week, Lord willing, to chapter 2. Let's begin reading with verse 22. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you. As we've worked our way through this first chapter, Peter started off with a theme of hope, reminding these Christians who are exiles, who are being persecuted, they're in a foreign land, of the hope that they have in Jesus Christ. It's hope of a future when this life is done in heaven, but it's also hope in this life that Christ is with them, that they are secure. He will be with them all the way. And we looked in detail at that living hope. But now he's shifted his focus from the hope that we have in Christ to our response to that hope. And that is holiness. He's calling these Christians, and by extension to us, he's calling us to live holy lives before God out of the hope that we have in Christ. And now as we're finishing up chapter 1, and as we get into chapter 2 and chapter 3, he starts to get really specific. As some people have accused preachers at times, he starts meddling. He's getting in your business. But today, the passage that we've just read, the issue that he raises first before he gets into these specifics of the Christian life, he raises this command... That's found in verse 22, to love. In fact, the command that's given at the end of verse 22 is that we love one another fervently. Love one another fervently. Now, from what he's said that they already have, he uses that word since uh, at the beginning of verse 22. He says that you have a sincere love of the brethren. Now that love of the brethren, even in Greek, it's a familiar word. It's Philadelphia. Sound familiar? This is a love for the brethren, and he calls it a sincere love of the brethren. The word literally means it's unhypocritical. It's genuine. It's not two-faced. It's a real, genuine love for the brethren. This kind of love, this love for the brethren, is normative among Christians. Always has been, always will be. It should be. Paul told the Thessalonians, he said, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. The Thessalonians... It came natural to them because of their relationship with God to have this brotherly love for one another. Hebrews 13, the writer said, let brotherly love continue. It was already taking place in that church. 
And I, I think that on the whole, when I look at our church, I look at Simmons Grove Baptist Church, I think we've got a pretty good handle on this kind of love. This sincere love of the brethren. Now, we're not perfect, are we? Certainly not. But judging the overall atmosphere of this congregation, I would say you folks love one another. You have a genuine, sincere love for the brethren, for your fellow Christians. It's not hypocritical. You don't just say that you love one another and shake one another's hands when you're at church and then you leave and run your mouth. I hope you don't, but I don't see it. It's not hypocritical. It's genuine. It's demonstrated in your involvement in each other's lives, in the acts of service that you do for one another. I've never seen so many meals cooked. I've never seen so many people making visits in one congregation. It's good that it's not all on me to do the visiting here. I have good people here in this church who love one another and take care of one another. And you don't know how happy that makes me. But it's interesting to note that even though these Christians that Peter's writing to do have a love for the brethren, they do love one another genuinely, he follows that statement up with a command to love one another fervently. What's he asking them to do? It is interesting. He says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently. You guys love each other. So here's my command. Love each other. It, it doesn't really seem to fit right on its face. The command to love that he gives is a different word. We said Philadelphia for the first love. This is love agapao from the noun that you know, agape. That love of choice, that highest form of love. But I think the key word here is in the word fervently. Now what does fervently mean? Somebody walks up to you and says, tell me, to, or tell me what the word fervently means. What is fervently? Well, fervently is... Fervently. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not a really easy word to describe, but it is helpful to see how it's used elsewhere in the New Testament. There's only a couple other places, really. One is when Jesus was in the garden before his death in Luke 22, the Scripture says, and being in agony, Jesus prayed more fervently that his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. It's used in Acts chapter 12 when Peter was in prison. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but fervent prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And you know that story. Peter was in prison. The church gathers in a home. They pray fervently. And what does God do? Sends an angel to set Peter free from the prison. They're praying so fervently that when Peter shows up and knocks on the door... And says, hey guys, I'm here. They said, oh, that's not Peter, that's somebody else. They were so caught up in their praying, they were praying so fervently that they weren't even paying attention to who was at the door. And you think about Jesus in the garden. Jesus had prayed before. Jesus' life was marked by prayer. He prayed regularly. But when He came to the garden, He prayed fervently. In such a way that even his sweat became as drops of blood. 
You could say that it was a next level kind of praying. Jesus had prayed before, but not in such a way that His sweat became like drops of blood. The church had prayed before, but not so eagerly that an angel miraculously delivers the apostle from prison. These are fervent prayers. These are prayers that were taken to the next level. So yes, the Christians who are reading Peter's letter love each other. They genuinely, sincerely care for one another. But Peter calls them to love one another fervently. He wants them to take the love that they have to the next level. Now that applies to us. We love each other here. We love sincerely. We love without hypocrisy. But what would it look like if in this congregation our love was taken to another level? What might our church look like if the love that we have for each other, which is a commendable love, it's not to diminish the love that we have, but what if it became what Peter calls fervent love? How do we do that? How can we, as Christians, take our love to the next level? Love fervently. Let me give you three things from the text. Number one, we purify ourselves through obedience. We purify ourselves through obedience. Verse 22, he says of these Christians, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren. He's speaking of something that's true about them. Peter's audience was largely of Jewish background. So this language of purification would have taken their minds back to the Old Testament law. Their thought of purification would be those ceremonial cleansing, those washings, those offerings that were made so that one could enter the temple and worship God. You couldn't come into the temple to worship unless you were clean, unless you had been purified. But Peter isn't calling them to a mere outward cleansing and outward purification so that they can participate in the religious ceremonies. Christian purification isn't a behavioral reform. It's not just trying to change the way we act. Biblical purification for Christians begins in the heart and then expresses itself in outward obedience. James, writing to a similar audience, called for this same kind of purification. He said this, Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Peter has previously reminded these Christians about their living hope in Christ. And when John wrote his letters, he said, Everyone who has this hope purifies himself, just as Jesus is pure. But just because Christian purification, Christian sanctification focuses on the condition of the heart, that doesn't mean that there isn't any outward expression involved. In fact, 
outward obedience is expected in order to show that what God is doing inwardly is legitimate, is genuine. So he says to these Christians, you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. You have purified your souls in obeying the truth. See, Christian growth, Christian maturity isn't just, you know, I'm just trusting Jesus to take care of everything. I'm living my life. He's still working on me. You know, when I get to heaven, I'll be perfect. You know, some of that's true. You're not just along for the ride, though. If you want to increase in your spiritual growth, in your spiritual maturity, if you want to take love to the next level like Peter is commanded, you must act on the truth that you believe and obey. Psalm 119 says this, How can a young man cleanse his way? And I'll edit that to say, How can a young woman, how can an old man, how can an old woman, how can anyone cleanse his way? He says, By taking heed according to your word. Obeying the truth. James 1, he says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Jesus said, If you love me, Keep my commandments. There is an action that is involved. We must participate in our purification as Christians. As a Christian, you must be actively obeying the truth. Now, what on earth does that have to do with increasing our love for one another? How does purification and obedience relate to taking Christian love to the next level? It really makes sense when you think about it. We all have a critical eye, right? Or is that just me? If we take our critical eye and focus it on our own soul, on our own sin... If you're concerned with your own purification, if you're concerned with your own obedience and whether or not you are doing what you are supposed to be doing, guess who you're not looking at when you're thinking about those things? Everyone else around you. You see, when your attention isn't giving isn't given to whether or not everyone else is doing what they're supposed to be doing, and you give that same level of attention to yourself, you begin to be more aware of your own shortcomings, your own need for purification, and the failures of others, even your frustration with others, it becomes something that's more on the periphery rather than the focus of your attention. I don't mean to say this in a harsh way, but just mind your own business. (laughs) Look at your own heart. Purify your own self. Make sure you are being obedient. You know what? If each one of you, if each one of us as individuals started focusing on our own purification on our own obedience to God, that's not just going to change you, is it? Oh, it will change you. But if each one of you 
looks at yourself, purifies yourself, makes sure you are obeying God, that's going to not just change you, but it transforms the entire congregation. It will be a different church when each one takes responsibility for his own soul and is obedient. Now, this works in marriage too, actually. Just a free piece of advice here. You want to take the love in your marriage to the next level? Sure, you love your wife, you love your husband. It's genuine, it's sincere. But you want to take it up a notch? Stop fixating on your frustrations with your wife or husband. Don't stew over her sins. Don't obsess and try to fix him. And turn your efforts to your own purification, your own obedience to God, and it'll transform your home. You can't change another person anyway. There's only one person you can work on, and that's yourself. So in our desire to take our love to the next level, we purify ourselves through obedience. And number two, we remember our new birth. We remember our new birth. You see, everything that I've said so far is actually impossible for somebody who's not a Christian. If you haven't been born again, if you're still dead in your sins, if you're still living for your own lusts, trusting in yourself, trusting in your own efforts, you cannot purify yourself. And you cannot faithfully obey God. See, we're only able to be purified. We're only able to obey God, able to love this way as Christians, because God has caused us to be born again. He said in verse 23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. Our old life has ended, our old nature is dead, and God has given us new life in Jesus. We won't spend much time here because we've covered it quite extensively the past few weeks. But we cannot forget it. You were dead in your sins. On your way to hell, you defended God and deserved His wrath. But in His great love for you, a sinner, He sent His own Son, Jesus, to willingly live a sinless life for you because you couldn't. To die for you to make payment for your sins. He died, He laid down His own life to be your substitute. Jesus took the punishment for your sin upon Himself when He died on the cross. All of God's wrath stored up for you was directed at Jesus and poured out on Him so that you wouldn't have to experience it. He paid your debt. And now, if you've repented, if you've put your faith in Jesus alone, God has given you new life. You've been born again. He's forgiven your sins. He's reconciled you to God. You have fellowship with Him. You have His Spirit with you at every moment. And you are promised eternal life in heaven with Him. This life is over. You have been born again. Friends, if we look at each other and not just see another church member, 
Not just see a fellow in the community, but see a brother and a sister who was in just as much trouble as you were before they knew Christ. Whom God has loved and saved just like He loved and saved you. You can't help but love that person. They are your brothers and your sisters. All under the same Father. We have the same Father. We have the same Savior. So we want to take our love to the next level. So we've got to purify ourselves through obedience. And we've got to make sure that we don't forget. We've got to make sure that we remember this new birth that we have in Christ. And then the third thing, number three, we continue to hear God's Word. See, this new birth that we received didn't just poof out of the air. We didn't just happen to think of it. It was brought to us, shared with us. How? Through what? Verse 23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. Hebrews 4 says, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There is no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. This Word, this book is powerful. You were born again, not of corruptible seed, The seed from which you were physically born is corruptible. Guess what's going to happen to each and every one of you? You're going to die. But the seed by which you were born again, the Word, is incorruptible. You weren't saved by your own flimsy efforts to please God. You weren't saved by your family name that could be gone in a generation. You weren't saved by wealth that could vanish in a single day. You were born not of that which is corruptible, but of that which is incorruptible. Christian, you were born again through the word of the living God. Your salvation will never perish because God's Word will never perish. Your salvation is unchanging. Your salvation is eternal because God's Word by which you were saved is unchanging and eternal. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away. But my Word will never pass away. Peter gives us a quote here from Isaiah chapter 40. He said in verse 24, All flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word by which, which by the gospel was preached to you. 
It says all flesh is like grass. You know, it's March, and it was actually warm last week. You wouldn't know it today. But uh, I'm starting to get those uneven, patchy growth spurts in my yard. Anybody else? It's starting to happen. And that grass is going to grow along with the clover and all the other weeds I've got. And it might look decent if I keep it cut and take care of it for a few months. But you know what's going to happen in October? It's all going to die again. It's here for a little while, and then it's gone. He said all flesh is as grass. That's what your life is. James said it's as a vapor, a mist. It's here, and then it's gone. He says, all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. I mean, you think about the glory of man. I feel like we've been pretty accomplished. We've done a lot of things. We're smart. We've built a lot of things. We've invented a lot of things. We've had a lot of neat ideas. Surely, the glory of man will stand for something. But he says it's as the flower of the grass. You know what else is going to happen in a few weeks? Those little yellow flowers are going to pop up along the edge of the driveway. And they're not going to last as long as the grass is. They'll be gone. All the glory of man, all that we've accomplished, is going to pass away like those little yellow dandelions on the edge of my driveway. Nothing. The grass withers. Its flower falls away. But let me tell you something about the word of the Lord. The scripture says, it endures forever. God didn't intend for us to benefit from His enduring and eternal word once for salvation and never look to it again, did He? As the word of God endures, so do we endure in the Christian life by coming again and again and again and again. To the word of God. We live by it. We need it for strength. For purification. For obedience. For fellowship with God. We must come back again and again. To the word of God. We must continue to hear God's word. On our own. In our personal quiet time. We get up, we brew the coffee, we go to the Bible, spend some time with the Lord before we go about our day. There's a lot of benefit in that. But if you want to take Christian love to the next level, start doing it with other Christians. Start reading and studying the Word of God. Start praying and start obeying God's Word with other Christians. Because you can do that stuff on your own. And it's good for you. And you should. But some of you can give testimony to this. That when you start reading and you start studying and you start praying and you start obeying God's word with other Christians. It takes it to another level. There's even a bond that's formed in those groups of Christians who gather together regularly with God's Word. 
we as a church, you as a Christian, can take love to the next level by purifying yourself and obeying the truth, by remembering this new birth that God has given us, and by continuing to hear God's Word. Now, what are you going to do with this? What's the, what's the next step in your Christian life? And what do you need to do to take it? It could be, for some, that very little of this applies to you because you've never become a Christian in the first place. You've never been changed by the power of God's Word. You've never put your trust in Jesus alone for salvation. And you need to repent. You need to turn away from your sin and you need to call out to Him. You need to pray to Him for mercy today and be saved. Maybe you've been coming to church for a while and you need to commit to this congregation and membership. You need to join with these believers here and get on board with the mission of the church. Maybe you are a member and you still need to get on board with the mission of the church. Maybe for some of you who are here, you need to be in the Word with other Christians, and that might mean you start coming to Sunday school. Maybe you need to become a part of a discipleship group. I tell you, some of, some of these ladies... Kathy, can I mention your name for a second? If you want to know the... Okay. If, if you want to know the benefits and the love that can abound in one of these discipleship groups where three or four or five people get together and read the Word of God and study it and pray together and try to obey it? You go talk to Kathy when church is over. That's the most joyful lady I've ever seen and the most enthusiastic person I've ever seen about a discipleship group. Maybe you need to be a part of that. Maybe you need to partner up with other Christians and just dive into God's Word together. Some of you need to take your focus home. I can address you men. It's your job. It's your responsibility to make sure that you are feeding and discipling your family. Your job isn't just to make money and make sure they have food and a roof and clothes. You have a higher responsibility even than that. And that is to make sure that your children, that your wife knows Jesus. That you live that example before them and that you put God's word before them. It's not easy. Okay? I know. It's not. It takes commitment. It takes faithfulness. And it takes the help of God. You can't do it on your own. So whatever that next step is in your Christian life, do it. Don't settle for the plane that you're on. Take that Christian life, that Christian love to the next level. As an individual, as a church, let's take it to the next level. Would you bow and pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Your enduring, eternal word. When this world has reached its end. When this world is perished, your word will still stand.
God, I thank you for the love that is shown in this congregation. Thank you for the unity that's here. For the way that these people care for one another and care for me and take care of one another. God, you have been good to us. And we're asking that we may take the next step. That we would dive into your word and be obedient. Not just on our own, but together as your people. May we be faithful. And Lord, if someone here has not come to know you, May they be saved even today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.